Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me all right? Okay, great. Hey, it is great to be back at EEC this morning. As Kevin One said, we established that he is Kevin One. I'm Kevin Two today. As uh, my friend Kevin said, this is my second time at ECC. It's great to be with you, and it's um, I've really enjoyed building a friendship with Evangel over these last couple of years and getting to know some of your journey. We've chatted about lots of things and we pray for you guys regularly. So thank you for having me with you this morning. Now, uh, preachers, we sometimes have a reputation for exaggerating things. We like to use hyperbole to make our point. But I think this morning we are within the bounds of truthfulness and rationality when we say that we are living in troubling times. Lots around us feel anxious and worried about what's going on in the world. Uh, maybe for some of us, we are particularly worried about Hong Kong's COVID situation. Three and a half thousand people have died in the last couple of months. And maybe as we heard, I think Krista prayed such an amazing prayer. Some of you may have lost loved ones. Maybe some of you have got elderly parents that are in care homes. Um, maybe some of you have parents that are abroad overseas and you can't get to be with them or to travel uh, to them at the moment. Maybe some have got young kids and you've read the news reports about how kids that contact COVID are being separated from parents and that brings a whole lot of fear and anxiety to your heart. So there's lots of reasons to be worried about. For some of us, maybe it's not so much the fear of catching COVID, it's the job security that goes along with this fifth wave pandemic. And maybe you, you are nervous about the future and unsure and uncertain about what the future holds for your work. And of course, there's everything that's happening in Ukraine. As we read the headlines of just the, the brutality and the wickedness and the depravity of humanity played out in our screens right in front of us, we are seeing firsthand what a broken world we live in. And the truth is that humanity has often lived through troubling times, hasn't it? Maybe some of us have been privileged enough to grow in very easy backgrounds. You haven't had a difficult life. It's true that there's sometimes have been maybe slightly less troubling than others. But by and large, has there ever been a time in the history of the world when things have just been plain sailing? There's been nothing troubling? Now, friends, this is the world in which we live. And in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus speaks his word to those that are anxious and worried and troubling. He speaks his word to those that are fragile in their faith. I mean, look at verse 1 in our passage, 14 verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says the same thing and again in verse 27. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And, and that's the big instruction for today. That's what God wants to say to us. Don't be worried. Yes, you live in troubling times. Yes, there's COVID and there's um, Ukraine and Russia war. Yes, there's so much to be worried about, but let not your hearts be troubled. We might think, oh, it's easy for Jesus to say that. They didn't have COVID. They weren't living through a plague in their day. Uh, they didn't have nuclear World War Three on their doorstep. I mean, it's easy for Jesus to say that, but look at the disciples. The truth is that they, like many of us, were troubled. I mean, look at chapter 13, what happens here in, in verse 30. Judas Iscariot leaves the Passover meal in order to go out and arrange Jesus' crucifixion and death on the cross. I mean, Judas literally walks out of the Passover meal to go and betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. In verse 38, Jesus tells Simon Peter, he says, who's in many ways the leader of the group 
of disciples, he says, before this night is over, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny that you even knew me. You're going to cut me off. In a moment of weakness, you're going to turn your back on me. And then, of course, the big thing, look at verse 33 and 36 of chapter 13. Jesus tells his disciples he's going to leave them. He says twice, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. You cannot join me. You cannot come with me now where I'm going. And for those of us that are familiar with the scriptures, it's, it's maybe the impact of those words don't hit us because we know how the story ends, right? Jesus dies, he rises again, he ascends into glory, and the story all ends pretty well. But for the disciples, just think how devastating those words were. And these are men that have left everything to follow Jesus. They've left the family business. They've left the apprenticeship of their father, the fisherman, right? Jesus calls them. They leave everything immediately and follow him in order to become his disciple, his Talmudin. And to be a disciple meant that you go where your rabbi goes. You, you, you sleep where he sleeps. You follow him. Everything he does, you go. And now Jesus says, I'm leaving and you cannot come with me. I'm leaving you in the dark. And you can imagine that for the disciples, what does this mean? I mean, what are they going to do walking around Jerusalem and everyone's going to say to them, where is your rabbi? And they say, we don't know. He's gone. He's disappeared. And remember how just a little bit earlier in chapter 6, a bunch of disciples abandoned Jesus. I mean, there's a whole crowd. Jesus says some difficult things and a whole lot of disciples stop following him, stop believing. And Jesus turns to 12 and says, are you also going to walk away? And Peter says, you have the words of life. Where, where should we go? You are the holy son of God. And so when everyone else has bailed on Jesus, abandoned him, given up, these 12 have stuck to it. They, they, they're faithful. They've banked their whole lives on Jesus being who he is. And now he says, I'm leaving you and you can't come with me. Of course, their hearts were troubled. Their whole life was falling apart. Everything they'd given themselves to was unraveling at the seams. And these disciples had just been thrown into a sea of confusion and doubt. And for all the hopefulness of finding the Messiah was now crashing and decimating on the rocks of doubt. I wonder how many of us feel similarly with all that's going on in our world at the moment. Feel anxiety and troubled hearts rising. But Jesus doesn't want these disciples and he doesn't want us to be stranded or abandoned in the sea of doubt, the waves billowing around us. Jesus wants to lift us up and anchor us on a rock of certainty. And so look at what he does here. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, Jesus says the antidote to anxiety and fear is not a change of circumstances. It's a deeper confidence in who he is. His circumstances will come and go. You can't change your circumstances. But Jesus says even if you could, that's not the solution. The solution is not just a change of circumstances. It's to anchor yourself to who God is and who I am, says Jesus. And the way that Jesus wants to do that is he wants to show us how the story ends. I don't know if you um, have young children. I've got two beautiful daughters. They are eight and almost ten. 
And um, sometimes we will watch a movie together or we'll read a book together and they'll be really afraid. They'll be fearful of, of what's going on. This, the, the drama um, rises, the tension increases and they're nervous. What's going to happen? And they might want to bury their heads under a pillow or under a, a blanket. And I, as their father, say, don't worry. I know how the story ends. It's going to be okay. That boy that is lost is going to be found. The parents who've lost their child will be reconciled. That animal that you that seems hurt is going to be all right. I, I know how the story ends. Jesus wants to tell us in this passage, he says, in this world, this world is not your home. You are a pilgrim and a sojourner in this home. But the big idea of this passage is that for the Christian, though this world is not your home, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, will get you home if you will hold on to him. That's the big idea of the passage. Yes, you're a pilgrim. Yes, you're passing through. Hold on to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and life. He will get you home. And so let's look at how Jesus does this, how he helps us in the troubled heart state. Three things we're going to see in this passage. The glory of our eternal home the reward of our eternal home, and then the promise to weary pilgrims. So firstly, the glory of our eternal home. Look at verse 2 with me. Jesus says this. First, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Verse 2, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, Jesus here is not giving a detailed architectural um, description of what life and eternity is going to be like, right? Jesus is not trying to describe in technicality what heaven is going to be like. He, he's using picture language, imagery, to make the point that glory or eternal life is like coming home. That's the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying, this life is not your home, but glory is like coming home. When I was a teenager, I went to boarding school, and I, I absolutely loved boarding school. It was a lot of fun. I'm not sure how many of you went to boarding school, or maybe you studied at a university away from your parents, where your parents lived, and so you maybe stayed in a hostel. When I was in boarding school, uh, it was a temporary home for the semester. But every semester, or maybe at the end of the year, we had to pack up everything you have, either put in storage or take it home, for the holidays and a day or two after the semester ends the halls are absolutely cleared out there's nothing there it doesn't look like a home at all and during term time it's a temporary home it's a temporary arrangement but it's not your true home in boarding school you are somewhat known but you're never fully known people struggle to let down their guard you're accepted but you're not loved unconditionally but when you come home when you come back to your parents' home, the place that you can most radically just be yourself, there's a beauty about a homecoming. In our city in Hong Kong, we have a lot of refugees that live in our city. And we as a city are not particularly good towards our refugees. We don't treat refugees very well. And one of the, one of the struggles that refugees feel is there's this, always the sense of, of a lack of safety, lack of security, this uncertainty about the future. And Jesus says that for those of us that are Christians, one of the important things to realize is that our life in this world, we are pilgrims, we are sojourners. This world is not our final home. Look at how the, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, he says, For here we have no lasting city, 
but we seek or we desire, we long for the city that is to come. And one of the, the secrets to the Christian life is to know that as we live in this world, this world is not our home. We live in light of the lasting city, the world that is to come. I'm not sure how many of you have been following the news of the Ukraine-Russian war and what's happening there. And many people have fled their homes and had to start all over again. Many people have found temporary accommodation in maybe a sports hall or government facility as they've fled across the border. And there are pictures of these city halls or a basketball arena that's just lined with hundreds of beds, temporary accommodation. But look at what Jesus says here. He says, heaven glory is not like that. It is lavish in its abundance and its extravagance. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. And his point here is that it's more than able to cater for you and your needs. The point Jesus is saying is that glory is not going to be a cramped endeavor. It's not a boarding hostel or a cheap motel. It's not a refugee hostel. In our father's home, there is way more than we need there is a lavishness and expansiveness i can imagine some of those ukrainian families walking through the night 10 12 hours to get to the border they cross the border they've left everything behind someone greets them on the other side and i can imagine someone looking the children in the eye and saying welcome to your new home there is a family that has got everything you need waiting to take you in and the point that Jesus is making here is that all the sacrifices you've made are worth it. Everything you've given up as disciples and followers of Jesus is not, it might seem like it's all in vain, but it's not in vain. Because even though I'm leaving you, I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to prepare your eternal home. I'm going to prepare glory for you. You, you can't outgive me, says Jesus. You've given up a little bit to follow me, but you can't outgive me. I'm going to prepare your home for you. Hold on to me. Friends, for these disciples who had invested everything to follow Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm leaving and you cannot follow me, it must have felt like he was abandoning them. And yet Jesus says, I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to prepare your home. Friends, one of the things that Jesus wants us to see here is this world is not our home. You are a pilgrim, a sojourner in this world as you make your way towards your lasting home. Look at the second thing that Jesus wants us to see here is that our reward, uh, the reward of our eternal home. Now, look at what Jesus says here. Apart from the fact that glory is our, our eternal home is not just sufficient. It's not just lavish. It's not just uh, not a boarding house. It's a father's home where his children come and find their security. They can finally be at rest. They can finally be at peace. Look at what else Jesus says here. Verse 2, he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, one of the questions here is, Notice what Jesus says is the reward or the prize, the end result of getting to glory. I mean, I mean, Jesus is saying here, this home is, this world is not your home. There's a glorious home that's waiting for you. But what's so special about it? I mean, what's so amazing about heaven anyway? 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter writes and he says, If you are in Christ, you've been born again to a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Well, what is that inheritance? What is that reward that we long for and look forward to? What's so special about heaven anyway? Well, look at what Jesus says here in verse 3. He says, I go and I prepare a place for you. I will come and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Friends, the glory of our eternal home is not just endless food. It's not just endless pleasure. It's not just the fact that there'll be no more sin and no more evil and no more wars and no more racism and no more abuse. That's true. It's not just the fact that there'll be a place where there's no more tears, where every tear is wiped away and no more death. Heaven will be utterly gloriously good because we will be with Christ. Because the most glorious, most majestic, most beautiful and most wonderful being that has ever existed, the eternal God will draw us into himself and flood us with himself. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, I will come again and I will take you not just into heaven, to be on clouds where there's no more tears, not just take you to streets of gold, I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. John Piper has this very famous but challenging quote. I want to read it for us. He says here, the critical question of our generation and every generation is this, if you could have heaven, with no more sickness and all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever dreamed of, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures that you could dream about and no human conflict, no natural disasters, would you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? You see what he's saying? Friends, the glory of heaven is not just that we would have left this broken world, as wonderful as that is, is that we will be united with Christ himself in the most deepest and tender intimacy you can imagine. Look what Jesus says. He says, that is what I go and prepare for you. Let's go back a few slides, Kevin. Uh, the question is, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Now, one of the questions is, what does Jesus go and prepare? I mean, what does Jesus mean when he says, I go and prepare a place for you? Is heaven in disarray at the moment? I mean, is it a big mess up there? Is Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to invite you around to my place, but my father's house is a little bit of a mess. I just need to clean it up before we have guests. Is that what he means? No, friends, that's not what he means. What Jesus means is that the way to our eternal home has not yet been opened up. There is a, there's something that Jesus needs to do to open up the way for us to get to glory. I don't know if you remember the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king in, um, I think, in uh, Syria. Uh, and he hears about Jerusalem and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. He wants to come out of exile and return home. He hears that Jerusalem is not doing well. The, the city walls are burnt down and his heart aches for his home. And so he leaves exile to come home. But before he can do that, 
He needs a document from the governor. He needs a legal document ensuring safe passage so that he can get home. Friends, Jesus says to his disciples, he's leaving them because there's something he needs to do to prepare the way to glory, to prepare the way for their homecoming. There's some business that Jesus needs to take care of. And what does he need to do? Jesus knows that the only legal sufficient way for him to bring his disciples home to glory is to go to the cross. Jesus can't just sneak his disciples home under the cover of darkness. No, he he will have to pay the ransom himself. Jesus will have to pay the ransom price to free his disciples, his followers, so that they can be free and get home to glory. Jesus needs to take upon himself the sins of the world. And so Jesus says he's leaving his disciples. They cannot come with him because he's preparing the way for them because at that moment, sin has not yet been atoned for. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has not been crucified. The judgment of God has not yet been poured out. The curse of God has not been satisfied. The death has not been defeated. The tomb is not yet empty. And yet over the next three days, every barrier, every blockage, every hindrance to his disciples getting home to glory will be removed out the way as Jesus makes way the way of the Lord, the way to glory. Jesus prepares the way for us. And look at what Jesus says here. He says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told that I go and I prepare a place for you? He says it twice. Again, if I go, I prepare a place for you. Well, who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. In fact, notice who he talked to the verse before this. He's talking to Peter, the very one who's going to betray him that very night. The one who's going to deny him. Look what he says here, chapter 13, verse 38. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, before the rooster crows this night, you will deny me three times. And the next verse, let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. Friends, yes, it's true that God so loved the world that whoever believes in his son will not perish, but have eternal life. But it's not just the world that Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about the individual. You disciples that are um, languishing and troubled and anxious and weary. You disciples that are weak in faith. You disciples that that, that are going to deny me this very night. I go and prepare a place for you. Friends, do you feel like Peter? Is your faith weak at the moment? Do you feel anxious and troubled? Do you feel weary? Do you feel... Like you don't know how much longer you can hold on. Friends, do you feel like you're not the most faithful follower of Jesus? That sometimes the the storms of life overshadow you and you get wrecked with doubt and worry and fear? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's not just for those that are strong. It's not just for the brave. It's not just for the wise. It's not just for those that have got it all together. Those who are weak in faith, those who are wracked with doubt, those who are anxious and worried, I've prepared a place for you. I've gone before. I've died on the cross. I've shed my blood. I've opened up the way so that if you will just hold on to me, I will take you to glory. Friends, this world is not your home. Jesus has prepared the way for you. He's opened up the way for you that you can get to glory to be with him. Now, before we get to our final point today, 
There's a question I want to ask you, and that is this. For those of us that are Christians, Jesus says we are pilgrims, we are sojourners on this world, in this life. And the question is, okay, but what does that mean for us here and now? I mean, what should we do? Should we just try and hang on to Jesus until we get to glory? Should, we, should the goal of our lives just to be try to not mess up, don't make too many mistakes, just try and hold on until we eventually get there? I mean, should we just try and keep out of trouble until Jesus returns? Is that the goal of life? If, if, if we're pilgrims in this life, what does Jesus actually call us to do here and now in this lifetime? Well, the book of 1 Peter is actually a book that's written in the New Testament to a bunch of exiles. Peter writes constantly to the sojourners, the pilgrims in his book. And the book of 1 Peter is a great book for Christians because it helps us to see and understand our life and our calling as Christians in this world. It's one of the reasons it's included in scriptures to help us understand what does it mean to be a pilgrim, a sojourner in this life. And one of the things that Peter writes in this letter is he says that Christians are both pilgrims, but we're also priests. Look at how he says this in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, as sojourners, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, Peter says, yes, you are exiles. Yes, you are sojourners. Yes, you are those who are on a journey towards your final home to the city that is to come. But you also priests. And Stephen Plass, who's a Dutch theologian um, and a missiologist in Amsterdam, he says, what does it mean to be a priest? A priest is someone who called out someone, a minority. It's someone who has been called out, chosen to play a specific function. The priests were minorities in the groups. They, they didn't dominate the politics. They weren't the rulers of society. They were servants of society. And priests had two functions. They were to minister on behalf of the people to God in prayer and worship. Priests would listen to the, the concerns and the worries and the fears of the people around them. They would bring the everyday matters of life, the joys and the struggles, the agony and the celebration. And they would bring these to God in worship, in thanksgiving, but also in prayers of petition and agony. I think actually Krista's prayer this morning was an amazing priestly prayer as she prayed on behalf of the congregation and people like Lemon and others. And that's what priests do. They, they minister um, to God on behalf of the people. They bring both the joys and the celebration, but also the pain and the agony, and they bring them before God in worship and in prayer. And Stephen Ploss says that as priests and pilgrims, one of our jobs as Christians is to be priests in our society, to listen to the concerns and the fears of our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends, and to, to say, would you mind if I pray for you? Would you mind if I bring your prayers before my God? Would you mind if, I'm, if I stand with you and minister to God on your behalf? But the other thing priests do is they minister to people on behalf of God. They bring God's word to people. They teach the people God's word and they, they remind God's people to fix their eyes on Christ. They bring a taste of heaven to earth as they bless God's people. They are agents of mercy and God's grace to his people. They were meant to bring a taste of heaven to earth. 
Friends, in this world, Jesus says you are pilgrims, you are sojourners, but you're also a chosen race. You are a set-apart people, a royal priesthood. You belong to God. You do not belong to this world. And part of our job is to minister to the hurting and the discouraged, the broken and the helpless in this world, and to stand with them and help them minister to God. Friends, maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Maybe you're the only follower of Jesus in your workplace. Maybe for you, following Jesus has been marked with great suffering and difficulty. And sometimes you wonder, where is God? Has he abandoned you? And Jesus says, I haven't abandoned you. I've gone to make the way for you. I've gone to prepare your home. I've gone to get ready for your coming to your home. But Jesus says, in this world, I have a calling for you to be an agent of hope and grace and mercy, to minister to the city in which you live, to minister to your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. And that leads us to the third and final point, which is the promise for weary pilgrims. I don't know if you have ever been hiking or camping up in the mountains and maybe the clouds have moved in and uh, you've been caught in the clouds. It can be a very dangerous situation. When I was 17 years old, my father and I went hiking in the Himalayas. We went to base camp of Everest. And the day we were to get to base camp, we got to our base, which was about two hours before of base camp of Everest. And uh, we'd been walking for a couple of hours. Half the group were tired and wanted to rest there. And the other half wanted to press on and get to base camp by that afternoon. And, um, and so I was part of the group that wanted to press on and get to base camp. It was about two hours away, but we couldn't stay there. So we were going to go to the base camp and look around and see and experience it and then come back to our camp where we were staying. And about an hour into that journey, as we turned around and looked behind us, you could see a snowstorm coming in. And uh, my heart started to race and get anxious because I'd heard the stories of people trekking in the mountains and being caught in the snow. Well, luckily, the weather held and we made it to base camp and got back all right before the snowstorm came in that night. But hiking in the mountains when the weather turns or when the clouds come down can be a dangerous thing. Many people have lost their footing and fallen off a cliff. Some people maybe uh, lose their way and they wander for days and they eventually die as their food and their water run out. Camping or hiking in the unknown mountains can be dangerous stuff. And, and the same is true for us in life. As we go on this journey through life, as we are pilgrims uh, and sojourners through life, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to lose our way. It's easy to take the wrong uh, road and to maybe take what we think is a shortcut or an easier route, a way that we think will get us to our destination quicker and easier and safer. And yet so often those side roads and those paths lead to destruction. Jesus, in fact, spoke about it in Matthew 7. Remember, he says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. Broad and easy is the path that leads to death. Narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life. Jesus here gives encouragement to those of us that are weary pilgrims on this journey. He says, in the midst of the troubles and the fears and the insecurities of life, in the midst of COVID regulations and the war in Ukraine, in the midst of job uncertainty and all the unknowns about the future, Jesus says, those who simply hold on to him will find their way to glory. They find their way home. 
Jesus says your getting to glory doesn't depend on how well you walk this path, but on how faithful Jesus is. Jesus says that your getting to glory isn't for the boldest and the strongest, the most courageous and those with the strongest faith. It's for those who simply hold on to him. Look at what he says here in verse 4. Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Just follow me. And Thomas, one of the disciples, says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus, we lost in the dark. We don't know what's going on. It's like you've, you've led us into the dark and now you've turned off the lights and, and we don't even know where our, our feet are going. How, how do we know where to go? And Jesus says, there's only one thing you need to know. You need to know me. I am the way and the truth and the life. When it feels like death is moving in on you, you hold on to me and I will be your life in the midst of the darkness. When the uncertainty of life clouds your thinking and your judgment, when you feel overwhelmed and anxiety causes you to not be able to think and see straight, you hold on to me for I am the truth. When you're unsure about which way to go and life seems so uncertain and you've got a thousand choices and you feel overwhelmed by by the uncertainty of life, you hold on to me and I am the way that will guide your steps. He says, you see friends, we don't know what the future holds. None of us do. And it sounds cliche, but we do know the one who holds the future in his hands. And Jesus says, if you will simply hold on to me, I will guide your steps and your paths. Josh actually read it for us this morning, Psalm 25. God says, uh, the psalmist Praise. He says, lead me in your ways. Show me your paths that I may walk in them. And Jesus says he doesn't shine a spotlight onto the next 10 kilometers, into the next 10 years. Jesus very seldom tells all of us what the next 10 years are going to look like. But he says, as you hold on to me, I am the way that will lead you there. Friends, Jesus doesn't just promise to be the roadmap that will guide us to glory. He says he is the way to glory. Jesus doesn't just promise to give us a set of directions to help us get to glory. He says, as you hold on to me, I will take you there because I am the way. Jesus doesn't come to give you good advice or good wisdom. He's the one who will bring you to glory himself. Jesus doesn't just give you a north star like he showed the wise men to Bethlehem. Jesus says, I am the star that will take you there. I will get you to glory. And friends, maybe some of you this morning, you feel so overwhelmed. Maybe some of us, you feel like, I don't know much. I don't understand all this Christian stuff. I don't know the Bible that well. Uh, friends, maybe this morning you're new to Christianity. And maybe all the stuff about being a sojourner and a pilgrim and glory, it's all over your head. You don't understand what on earth we're talking about. That's okay. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that he came to die on the cross for you? Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? who loves you and gave his life for you? Friends, do you know that, that Jesus came to take your debt upon himself so that you can be free? Well, you know enough. You know enough. One of the disciples says, God, we don't know all the stuff that you're talking about. What are you saying? And Jesus says, if you know me, you know enough. I am the way who will get you to glory. J.C. Rowell, who's an old uh, British pastor, says this. He says, on one hand, the disciples' ignorance was great. 
of all the Lord's coming, of his sacrificial death on the cross, his substitution, their ignorance was glaring and great. They didn't understand half of what he's talking about. But on the other hand, their knowledge was great. Because though they were simple fishermen, uneducated and despised, they knew far more than the great majority of Israel. Even those who were greatly studied and well-versed in the scriptures, proficient in God's ways. Rao says, compared to the world around them, they were in the highest sense enlightened. For they knew and believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, and to know him was the first step to heaven. Friends, Jesus is saying here that every promise finds its yes and its fulfillment in me. If you will simply hold on to me, weary though you may be, anxious though you may be, troubled in heart though you may be, you hold on to me and I will take you home. Friends, hold fast to Jesus. He is the way in the midst of all the confusion. He is the truth in the midst of doubt and uncertainty and clouded vision. He is the life in the midst of darkness and anxiety and distressing. Jesus is the way. Hold on to him. Friends, do you find your heart greatly troubled this morning? Do you find yourself anxious and worried about many things? Do you sometimes worry, where is God in this world? Jesus says that this world is not your home. You're a pilgrim and a sojourner and he's taking you there. Jesus wants to breathe the certainty of eternity into our hearts to anchor us onto the rock that is Christ in the midst of the storms and the sea of confusion. Jesus has prepared an eternal inheritance for us. Jesus has opened up the way by dying on the cross so that the way is free for all those who come to him to come to the Father. Jesus calls and commissions us to be priests and pilgrims in this world, to be those whose eyes are fixed on heaven as we minister to those around us and bring heaven to earth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he will get us home if only we will hold on to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for all my friends this morning, those of us that are on the call. Lord Jesus, I ask you that you will come and fill our hearts with the hope of heaven. That, that Lord Jesus, even in this world, though there is so much to be anxious and worried about, God, won't you remind us that this world is not our home. That God, we are passing through this world as we look for the lasting city, the world to come. God, I pray especially for those this morning that that feel like the clouds of doubt and the clouds of darkness are rolling in. May you, Jesus, the, the beam of light, the ray of heaven, the, the anchor to our souls, burst those clouds, God, and shine your light into our hearts and remind us, God, of the certainty of the world that is to come because you have purchased it. You have ransomed our souls for God. You have prepared the way you've died and you have risen again. God, may you put a certainty in our hearts of our home and our eternal glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.